0: Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Brent Holland. Canada. Canada is the best country in the world, bar none. Canada. I've got passion for this country its people, what it stands for in the world. When I traveled to Rideau Hall a few weeks ago to interview our new Governor General, David Johnson, I saw a spark in David Johnson's eyes, a spark that I love to see when people talk about this country. It is a spark of passion, pure love and passion for this country, for its greatness, for its people, And it's ideals. And that's what Canada stands for. Idealism. That's where people come from all around the world to bring the best parts of their backgrounds and help build this country and become part of it. And that's what I love about Canada. By the way, folks... For you film trivia buffs, listen to the latter part of the interview with Governor General David Johnson. You are going to be amazed at how integral a part he played in one of the biggest movies ever released. In the second part of the show, New York City, Jodie Williams. Jodie Williams won the Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah, she's a heavy hitter, folks, for banning landmines. And there's a huge Canadian connection in there with the Right Honorable Lloyd Axworthy. But more on that in the second half of the show right now. Now, get ready to be inspired about this country, Canada, with none other than the Canadian Governor-General, David Johnson, right now on Brent Holland. Folks, if you're just joining us, we're speaking with none other than the Governor General of Canada. That's right, folks. Very special guest. He has been most kind with his time to allow us to come all the way to Rideau Hall, my first time, and I am just amazed. It's just a beautiful place. David Johnson, how are you today, sir? Well,
1: welcome to Rideau Hall. This is the home of the people of Canada, Brent. It's great to have you here.
0: It is wonderful to be here, sir, and it's wonderful to be here with you, particularly. Can we jump in right away? There's a lot of folks listening right now that have no idea of the circumstances surrounding the Governor General, what your responsibilities are, sir.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I'm the Queen's representative uh, in Canada, uh, and I have a package of responsibilities that begin with uh, the constitutional ones, uh, signing into law the orders and bills from Parliament and the various... Um, instructions that come. Uh, Secondly, I function as the commander-in-chief of the Armed Forces of Canada. That's a symbolic role, but one about which I'm uh, very proud. From time to time, uh, one deals with constitutional issues, uh, dissolution and prorogation of parliament, uh, swearing in of cabinets, uh, uh, engaging uh, new prime ministers, uh, things of that sort. One also has a function of uh, serving as a uh, Uh, liaison with the Prime Minister, in the words of Badgett, to uh, encourage, to advise, and to warn with respect to uh, matters of uh, the day. Uh, Then there is a a role that has to do with honors and awards, where one recognizes uh, outstanding Canadians in a variety of ways, from Order of Canada, to military service, to police and fire service, to bravery to citizenship and so on and finally an an area that uh to some extent is in the discretion of the governor general and that is particular themes and in my case uh, it is a smart and caring nation a call to service and within that broad uh, heading uh, there are three pillars one is family and children the second is uh, philanthropy and volunteerism and the third would appeal to your audience and that is uh, innovation and learning
0: Let's talk about that latter one, if you don't mind, sir. Let's jump into education right away. I had the distinct pleasure of having um, a soldier from Afghanistan on my show. His name is Ray Weese. He's written a book called uh, A Line in the Sand. He's a surgeon from Sudbury, Ontario, sir. Um, and he's brought something very unique to combat medicine, and that is ultrasound, and it saved so many lives he, when he was on the show, he talked specifically about education, and he said the best way to beat the Taliban or any adversary around the world is through education. Why is education so important to you, sir?
1: Well, Afghanistan is a very good place to start because 10 years ago, there were 700,000 Afghan children in schools, almost none of them women. Uh, today, there are 5 million. Ten years later about a third of those women. So on that particular dimension, one has seen enormous progress. Now, there's a long ways to go, uh, but uh, one can be very heartened by seeing that take root. More generally, uh, education is the foundation of so much else. Uh, I think this country, Canada, is precious. And one of the reasons it's so precious is I don't think any country in the world today or in history has worked harder than Canada has at equality of opportunity. Uh, and that is particularly shown through our public education system. It's not absolute equality of opportunity. There are still barriers, uh, but those barriers are less than most jurisdictions around the world. And it comes out of our history. almost all of us came here with nothing with the shirts in our back. Uh, immigrants going back 10, 20,000 years to the first Aboriginal people in the last 400 years, European people in the last 50 or 100 years people from all around the world almost all have come with very few possessions and no particular status but with a fervent desire that the lives of the children shall be better than their own and that has happened in very large measure through a public education system that has provided that equality of opportunity uh, that's a great achievement I think of uh of uh, Canadian uh, values, and it's one that I think we all should work very hard to continue and improve.
0: I agree wholeheartedly, sir. And you speak with a lot of passion about the country, and that is something I admire because I am very passionate about this country as well. I know the closest woman in my life is an immigrant to this country, and she came from a country, Iran, that uh, there's lots of persecution going on, and she loves the freedom here. We have the best country in the world without question. I want to go back to that passion and education in your own life, sir, if we could. What led you, what gravitated you towards the law and justice
1: Well, my life, I think, has been uh, populated by extraordinary mentors, teachers, coaches, etc. If we had 100 hours, I would give you uh, 100 or 1,000 stories of individuals who affected me. Um, I was born in Sudbury. I grew up in Sault Ste. Marie. I had the wonderful opportunity to study at an outstanding university in the United States for four years, an outstanding university in the United Kingdom for two years, uh, studying law. Never had any Uh, uh, expectation of living in any other place than Canada, a country I love, but those external experiences I think were helpful and then have spent my life as a university professor and a university administrator in Canada. Why have I found my way through this particular journey? I think it's just uh, very significant individuals at different junctures in my life who've provided advice, uh, challenges, demands, etc., that have led me to do what I've done. The law, I suppose, is something I've come to love. Um, The rule of law is part of that Canadian value system that I was speaking about, provides the framework uh, within which we can have that equality of opportunity and that desire for excellence. Um, One definition of law is the rules that make people free. That sounds like a contradiction, but uh, without law, without order, um, there is chaos. And uh, ours is a society, I think, that has learned to use the rule of law, a thousand years of constitutional history, uh, to provide a degree of freedom for our people and a collective responsibility that makes us a very attractive country.
0: Absolutely. I want to talk now a little bit about the various aspects of this country. For example, um, a lot of students that are listening right now from coast to coast to coast don't vote. And I'm always of the opinion that democracy is this precious little gem that we have to protect and be actually proactive with. Can you talk about maybe perhaps inspiring folks to get out there and voice their opinion through the power of the vote?
1: Well, it's a theme I love. I've had the pleasure of uh, presiding over many university convocations for 26 years as a university president. And I used to end my convocation remarks to the students by saying, uh, this is a wonderful day in your life. Uh, you should be proud of your achievements. You've done well. You've earned a degree through hard work and your intelligence, etc. But recognize another side of that. Uh, you are the product of a very special situation, the public education system of Canada, supported in large measure by the taxpayers. And the taxpayers have made an investment in you. Now, you have a responsibility to them, and that is to use... Uh, The gifts that you have, the education you have to help to direct your society, you begin by exercising your franchise in national, in provincial, in regional, local elections for school boards and so on. And I'm not here to tell you how you vote or what particular political philosophy you adopt but to recognize that that is a responsibility of citizenship for you, not just a right of citizenship. And it's a responsibility that comes that you're, from the fact that your fellow citizens have invested a lot in you and prize your judgment.
0: Something I would like also you to address, sir, is something that's near and dear to my heart as well as I know to your heart as well, and that is our Canadian troops, both abroad and at home. The wonderful, incredible Canadian troops that make it all possible for us to have this glorious country called Canada.
1: Well, I've, I've come to have great admiration through my new responsibilities because I've seen them firsthand. Let me just leave you with uh, a couple of observations from my first trip to Afghanistan, which was, I guess, within the first month of installation. I was with a a senior military officer from the United States who was the liaison between the Canadian troops there in Kandahar province in a very challenging situation and the American surge troops that had been brought in to bolster uh, the situation. He said, I have two things to tell you. Uh, I've seen a lot of military people from different countries around the world over my career of 40 or 50 years. I have two things to tell you about your Canadian soldiers. One, from a professional point of view, from a military point of view, they are second to none uh, in how they perform in their leadership, in their training, in their execution, of their responsibilities. The second thing continues to surprise me, and I have never seen it in a military theater. He said their ability to relate to civilians and civilian reconstruction, I, I have not seen before in a military situation. Somehow they can relate to civilians from your own country, civilians from international aid organizations and civilians in Afghanistan, those school teachers we were speaking about earlier, of getting the schools rebuilt and functioning, that, that just normally doesn't occur, that ability to bridge from a hostile situation to a reconstruction situation, said, I think it must have something to do with the basic values in your country and the kind of people that you attract into military careers, that they carry those values with them.
0: Pretty impressive, isn't it, sir? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Only two more questions for you, sir. The the, uh, the next question I have for you deals with philanthropy and volunteerism. I understand you're heading to Toronto in just a couple of weeks to take part in uh, a home building. Yes. Could we talk a little bit about that great initiative? And bravo, sir.
1: Well, I love it. It's the Habitat for Humanity, which is a flourishing Canadian organization. It actually, is headquartered for Canada in the region from which I come, Waterloo County. And I love that manifestation of philanthropy because I use an expression, barn raising, constantly, that comes from Waterloo County, which was settled by European settlers in 1800. They were Mennonite people who came from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And my wife and I live on a farm, a 100-acre Mennonite farm, about 11 minutes away from the University of Waterloo, where I have worked for almost 12 years. And our neighbors are horse and buggy people. They're Mennonite people. And they have pioneered the notion of barn raising. And that very simply means that when a newcomer comes into the community, uh, all the neighbors gather around and help that newcomer build the barn. And when a fire occurs or a storm and the barn is destroyed, they all come together to help that neighbor rebuild uh, his or her life and the life of their family. Now, that's a pioneer metaphor, but it is a metaphor that continues to operate in Waterloo County of neighbor helping neighbor, community helping community. And so we come to Habitat for Humanity, which, of course, is attempting to do that across this country and across the world. It is to provide homes for people who otherwise would not have a home to get them onto a step from which their life can be managed in a more effective fashion. Uh, and it's a wonderful manifestation of, of help and caring for a neighbor that really comes out of a Canadian tradition that's very precious. I think you manifest that more broadly into the smart and caring nation. That My hope is by 2017, when we celebrate our 150th anniversary, that, that this notion of helping one's neighbor will not simply be a switch that you kind of flick off or flick on, when the opportunity presents itself, but to be seen as a mainstream feature of Canadian citizenship. That's who we are. That's what we do. Precisely. We help our neighbor.
0: Precisely. That's wonderful, sir. Thank you so much for that. Final question. Quote, unquote, can you tell the folks a little bit about love means never having to say your sorry?
1: <laughs> well, that comes from, uh, from the novel Love Story. And uh, my change with that line is uh, love uh, means uh, always making it better. Uh, The motto of the Order of Canada is they desire a better country. And so I I, I prefer my version, I think, to Eric Siegel's version. Uh, But Eric was a professor at Harvard when I was a student there, professor of classics. Uh, He wrote novels like Love Story, and he would often use parts of characters uh, who were there and involved them in a story, and uh, I played hockey, uh, and he uh, had me as a character in uh, his, his novel Love Story. Uh, most of the time, he would change the names of his characters. Uh, one of them in Love Story is a wonderful guy named Eugene Kanasiewicz, uh, outstanding hockey player. He changed Gene's name to Kenaway, but he kept my name as it was, and so uh, there I was as a minor character in that story.
0: That's wonderful, sir. Listen, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. Thank you so much. Talking with the students right across the Great country. to be with you and your viewers. Thank you so much, sir. All the very best to you. Pleasure. You're listening to The Brent Holland Show. For more information on today's guests, as well as free podcasts and downloads, please go to the www.brenthollandshow.com website, www.brenthollandshow.com. He's something else, isn't he, folks? Don't you feel invigorated after listening to that? We're going to continue right away with Jody Williams. Jody Williams, of course, Nobel Peace Prize laureate, 1997. She won it for banning landmines. Huge Canadian connection with the Right Honorable Lloyd Axworthy. Here we go. Folks, if you're just joining us this afternoon, we are honored this afternoon to have as a guest Jody Williams. And she giggles. This is the type of character Jody <laughs> is, by the way. Um, very inspirational. If you want to be inspired this afternoon, you will be indeed. Stick around. Jody Williams, of course, won the Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah, she's a heavy hitter, folks. In 1997 for her campaign to ban landmines. Jody, welcome to the show. Thank
2: you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Are you going to make music for me? Absolutely. I hear you're a musician, a composer. A composer. A composer. A composer. The only thing you can't do is cook. No, I can't sing either. That's Um. why I do instrumental music. (laughs) Trust me, you don't want to
0: hear me sing. Uh huh. Trust me on that one.
2: I do trust you on that one. Thank you
0: kindly. This show is syndicated across university networks. Primarily, Uh we're speaking to students right now. The idea of the show is to inspire them, to inspire the students today to get out there, take action. You started off, ritually, as a one-woman show. Kind of and look what you've accomplished. Can you take us through that process Mm -hmm. so the students listening can say, now there's a template
2: I can use? Mm -hmm. There's nothing magic about changing the world. I've been talking with colleagues in the last couple of days about how in today's world there's so much going on so much overwhelming bad news that i think people feel intimidated and disempowered i think that people believe that if they can't make peace happen now there's no use in trying and i think that's um an ill-conceived notion, although very understandable. And I think sometimes I even think that it's purposely done by governments to disempower people, to make them really feel overwhelmed with chaos and that they can't do anything.
0: Do you ever feel that frustration yourself, that you want it to happen so
2: passionately, and it yet the time frame takes so darn long, Maybe when I was younger, but not anymore. It, a change even when you want it is difficult, right? I'm an introspective person. I've been navel-gazing since I could, could navel-gaze. And when I've looked at different parts of my personality, my sister and I really go at it with each other intellectually about it since we were kids. And if there's something I decide that I want to change, even that's difficult. You know, our habits, the way we do things are quite ingrained and it's hard. So trying to change an entire system of course, is that much harder, but it doesn't mean it's not possible. And I've come to recognize that the speed of change to me is relative to how many people are working together to bring it about. And when I say working together, I mean getting up off their ass and taking action, not just whining about, oh my God, global warming, or oh my God, we're going to be nuked, or don't whine at me. I don't, I don't care about your whining. I care that you Care about something passionately, but then you get up and take action with others to make it different. When enough of us do that, we can ban nuclear weapons, we can change global warming, we can even change militarism. But it means people working together with a common idea and a common goal, and you can make it happen. That's what we did with landmines. Yes, I was the first, I was the staff of one, but I did not change the world by myself. Nobody does. The reason we succeeded in banning landmines was was because tens of thousands of people fought just like I did, joined the campaign in varying ways, each contributing what they could, and together we moved the world to give up the weapon. But it didn't happen by me alone. I mean, it's really impressive to be introduced as an example of an individual who changed the world. I mean, it sounds so fantastic. It's bullshit. I did not change the world by myself a very humble woman. I'm realistic. I think I'm great, but, you know, not that kind of great. Not like, I like who I am or I wouldn't do what I do, but I'm realistic. I didn't do it alone. Do you think that if I could change the world alone, I would have just gone after landmines? Hell no! We would have peace.
0: Absolutely. Folks, if you're just joining us, we're speaking with an incredibly courageous woman, not only courageous, uh, great insight, great foresight, and a vision for the betterment of mankind. Now, her name is Jody Williams, and Jody Williams won the 1997 Nobel Peace Prize. Yes, indeed, we are indeed speaking with a Peace
2: Laureate this afternoon. and. With a great love of Canada, of Canada, and I was because to... Canada was intimately involved in the landmine. And I was just it?
0: going to talk about Lloyd Axworthy and oh, the Ottawa I love process. Lloyd. I actually had the pleasure of meeting um, Mr. Axworthy several years ago when his book came out.
2: Can you talk about that process to sure. those
0: that are sure. Of the
2: Canadian connection? sure. When we started the landmine campaign, it was back formally in 1992, and we looked at the tools available to us at that time to bring about change. And there was an existing UN treaty that dealt a little bit with landmines. It was terrible. What it tried to do was tell military in the field how to use the weapon responsibly. It's not possible to use landmines responsibly. It's an indiscriminate weapon that stays in the ground after the end of war. So how can you responsibly use it? You're gone home, peace has come, and people can be blown up for decades. The UN, not surprisingly, was rather unresponsive to our desire to change that treaty, to amend the treaty to a ban. It took two and a half years of UN process to make the treaty weaker instead of banning the weapon. But in that time, the campaign had grown exponentially, and we had been able to put pressure on governments individually so that they had taken steps. For example, in March of 1995, Belgium was the first country to unilaterally ban landmines. right? They passed laws in Belgium saying that nobody could use them, produce them, export them, etc. That spurred other governments to do the same thing. And if you get enormous enough governments taking steps you have the building blocks for change. You build momentum. Yes and so when the UN process collapsed, in our view. All of those governments were so pumped about the possibility of change that they came together in a conference hosted in Canada to discuss a roadmap to banning the weapon. And it was amazing. It was in October of 96, and um, Lloyd was the host as foreign minister, welcomed the delegates. I think there were 50 countries there participating, and maybe 25 as observers. The International Committee of the Red Cross was there, the Landmine Campaign. It was open, participatory. So we worked really hard for a couple of days, and at the end we had a roadmap to, you know, lead us eventually to a ban. And then Lloyd comes back at the end of the meeting to do the formal farewell, and he blows everybody out of the water by saying, you know something? Canada doesn't think this is enough. You have come here because you have pledged to ban landmines. You've been talking about it now for five years. The time has come to do it now. Canada challenges you to come back to Ottawa, in a year's time and sign a mine ban treaty. The room, I mean, the governments wanted to throw up civil society was like there was crying there was cheering and that launched the year-long process now known as the Ottawa process where governments got together outside the UN and negotiated the mine ban treaty it was absolutely the most amazing thing I've ever been involved in in my life
0: truly was and I think we can use those ideas and bring them forward to today in many many areas I only have two questions left for you because I know you have to run first one is what pisses you off
2: laziness it pisses me off to hear people whine about the world and then go, you know, drink a beer as they watch the Canucks. Or is, is that still That's a still team? Yeah, it still is, yeah. Is it still a team? I am not engaged in watching team sports. But, you know, don't whine. Just don't waste your energy. Take the beer, sit in front of the TV, and shut the fuck. Shut, shut up. It's okay. You know? University students, I'm sure. I know heard I that apologize I promised my mother who just turned eighty that I would not use the F bomb in public anymore. I've gotten way better, but occasionally I slip now. You know? I get really agitated when people just bitch and they don't do anything about it. I want to see action. You know, it people have no trouble spending hours watching television or going to the mall shopping. Give up a freaking hour and volunteer and change the world. It doesn't it's not magic. It really is going finding a group of people working on something you really care about, offering your time. That's all it takes. Yes. But whining is not going to change the world. Folks, our guest today, Jody Williams, the 1997
0: Nobel Peace Laureate for banning minds. Just talked about the Canadian connection. Final question. As you know, this is primarily for students right across the country in Canada, but
2: also around the world because it's on the internet. What would you say to them? I would say if you are really committed to change, Send me an email and we can talk about what you care about. I'm happy to talk with you about finding a group that you want to volunteer with. My email is Williams, which is my name, Williams at ICBL, easy to remember, International Campaign to Ban Landmines.org. Send me an email, tell me where you, you know, that it's from this interview, and we can engage in discussion about how you can change the world. I think that's
0: perfect. And folks, of course, www.brenthollinshow.com. I will put that link right there for you, make it very easy for you. Just click on it, and you'll be in contact with our
2: guest this afternoon, Jody Williams. Thank you so much for all your work. Now, I want to hear your composition, so. <laughs> you can't sing. <laughs> can't sing with a darn. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. It's fun.
0: As always, folks, if you're doing real world research, www.brenthollandshow.com. The real stories from the people that were there, right there for you to download free. I'm Brent Holland. Thank you all for listening. See you next time.